everyone, it's time to watch some more tape into some more metrics on the X's and O's podcast with the great Greg Cosell. I am Doug Farrar of Touchdown Wire on the USA Today Sports Media Group, and the guy over there was Greg Cosell, who apparently saw Hall & Oates in 1982. I did. Daryl Hall is what's venue in Philadelphia called the Tower Theater in Upper Darby. Nice. I don't know if they still have great concerts, but they, for a long time, certainly back in the 80s, they had big-time concerts. Great venue. Yeah. Well, Greg, Greg is a man-eater. So uh, let's get I to I actually the- liked Hall. It's funny you say that. I really like their earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. I love their earlier stuff. Abandoned Luncheonette. Yeah, that's, that stuff was great. We were a classic rock guy, and you were a classic tape guy. At yeah. The- vaults by the way do you i mean you have the vault in the basement i hope i somewhere i want to see mike mcdaniel and kyle shanahan like designing run schemes for four years at the 49ers i'd love to see some tape of that you probably don't have that but i just like to see that anyway uh so greg we're getting into the week six matchups here before we get into that i want to do an overall concept and you know how it is you watch different games and different players you start to see things and trends and you go oh i'm seeing this over and over and over let's put a pin in it. And I wanted to discuss this with you. We talked about it a little earlier this morning. It seems like it's happening a lot more passing games, creating explosive plays out of quote unquote, heavy or run personnel, 11, 22. We know that the Niners do it, but a lot of teams are doing this a lot more now. And I I just wanted to get your thoughts on why you think this is happening. Well, I think what you're speaking about is teams lining up in what we call base personnel more often whether it's the use of a fullback, we're seeing that with more teams. You know, we're seeing that a bit of the Shanahan influence, obviously Mike McDaniel in Miami. Now you're seeing it with Slowick in um, Houston. You're seeing the use of the fullback. Um, So, you you know, we know that McDaniels uses the fullback quite a bit as well in in Las Vegas. Uh, But, and even 12 personnel, meaning one back and two tight ends, which would be considered base personnel. So now now you get into the, the, the... sort of the, the the matchup element, you know, the chess game and how defenses will respond. Because normally when an offense, Doug, lines up in base personnel, fullback, two tight ends, what you get from a defense is their base defense, mm-hmm. whether it's a 4-3 with three linebackers, whether it's what I call a 5-2, some would call it a 3-4, but you, you're playing with a five-man front and two stacked backers. Um, you're getting base defense, and what normally happens in base defense is coverages tend to be more predictable. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I spoke to a coach and I thought he had a line. He gave me a line that I thought was fascinating. And he said, the front can be the eyes of the coverage in base. And so, in other words, in, in base, you don't get anywhere near the coverage of versatility that you get in uh, you know, when you're in nickel or dime in sub defense. And by the way, you don't get anywhere near the pressure concepts in base as you do in, in your sub defenses. So therefore you could play base personnel. And the other thing a lot of offense are doing in base, as you well know, is it's not old school base, you know, straight eye, tight end attached, you know, they're lining up, you know, in spread formations out of base personnel. I mean, look what Miami does. Look at what Kyle Shanahan does. I mean, this is not 80s football where, you know, the fullback is in the backfield in an, in an eye or an offset eye, and the tight end is attached to the formation, and we're going to line up and run the ball. Right. So now this is the chess match. This is now how will defenses respond? 
Will they stay base? They may well do that on first and 10. We don't know. We're just kind of spitballing here, but this is what's happening. Yeah. So defenses now, because everything becomes cyclical, as you well know. So now defenses will respond in however they choose to, but there will be a response. Is that why a team like the Cowboys, obviously not a good week to talk about their defense, but I mean, they almost run big nickel as a base. Is that? Yeah, they don't really play with three linebackers unless it's goal line or or very short yardage. Their base defense is big nickel. Right. Um, Now there's reasons for that too. A lot of that, or some of it, there's probably many reasons, some which we probably have no idea about because we're not in their meeting rooms. But one reason for sure is it gives you a better matchup on the tight end. Ostensibly, unless you're facing George Kittle and East Coast. Yeah, I mean, obviously. And, and those plays were, you know, look, he caught three touchdowns and it makes it seem like, wow, he just killed them. But you know that. It doesn't quite work like that. I mean, that first touchdown, um, I thought that Malik Hicker, Hooker should have matched the route, but, you know, he yeah. didn't. And I don't know who else could have matched that route based on, on the coverage look. But, again, that's what it just looked like to me. Yeah, uh, we will get into Brock Purdy and the 49ers. We're going to try to have a nuanced discussion on this show, and I don't know how that's going to go because, oh, boy. I think we can do that. Yeah, we probably. Yeah. So uh, let's start with Seahawks-Bengals. Uh, Greg, Joe Burrow might be back. They shot his calf up with unobtainium. Burrow weeks one through four on passes of 20 or more air yards, one of 10 for 43 yards. Burrow in week five, one of three for 63 yards. And the 63-yard touchdown pass to Jamar Chase with uh, 13.47 left in the third quarter, one of three Chase had on the day against the Cardinals. That was really encouraging. He, Burrow took a deep drop of play action. He got pressure to his front side from Victor uh, Dimikeji, stepped up in the pocket, and just let it rip. And he's not a Josh Allen arm guy, but he's got a, you know, but no. this was like a full body mechanical throw. His pocket movement was also better. And I would opine that since the retirement of Tom Brady, Burrow is the best pocket mover in the NFL. So what did you see from Burrow and how does this portend as long as he can stay healthy going forward? Yeah, I thought for the first time this season, Burrow and the Bengals pass game, Doug, had a rhythmic feel to it. You know, Burrow, and I think they they helped him do that with their approach. Um, with a lot of clean, defined reads where he could hit his back foot and deliver the football. And, you know, they ran a lot of things that are very basic, snag flat, you know, things where he could, like I said, hit the back foot and throw it. So I thought it was strong coaching by the staff to present those clean looks and reads within structure. And then, of course, as you said, his pocket movement is so comfortable. That first touchdown he threw to Chase um, where he got pressure and then he had a move to his right. I mean, he's just such a comfortable mover. It, it looks effortless when he does that. Um, so, you know, he looked like he was back. It didn't look like he was bothered by his calf. Uh, if that's the case, you would expect their offense to continue to get better. And, you know, Burrow is a fascinating case study because he's a, a, a sort of um, – I'm trying to think of the right way to describe this, Doug – Obviously, he's a great pocket mover, and you're 100% right. I mean, we, we know he does that, but but he's not an automatic pocket mover. In other words, there are plenty of plays where he stays in the pocket late in the down, even when there are people around him, and delivers beautiful throws. He's mm-hmm. not looking to get out. That's his parachute. He, he doesn't drop back with the idea that, hey, I'm going to move. He drops back with the idea that I'm going to play within structure and – you know, he's a he's a very fun quarterback to watch when he's playing as he did on Sunday and obviously through the you know the his years in the league because there's such a rhythmic feel to the manner in which he plays. My guess is his arm is probably a little better than a lot of people think, you know, because he throws so easily. Now, 
he doesn't have a hose, and we'll get to Brock Purdy in you know momentarily. You know, Burrow doesn't have a hose, but my guess is it comes out probably a little better than we all think. It's kind of like the, the receiver who runs four six versus the receiver who runs four three. The guy who runs four six, if he knows the routes, he's going to be faster than the four three guy. Burrow is such a comfortable thrower, and he sees things so well. If he were, you know, if he throws it at twenty miles an hour, and the other guy throws it at twenty five, he still his velocity is <coughs> more because right. he's more on target and more in time. I agree. So this was the first week where they really looked comfortable. I hope it continues. You know, just from a personal bias standpoint, yeah. I, I I assume most do. I enjoy watching Joe Burrow play quarterback when he's you know playing like this. I think it's it's just to me having been taught by you know a lot of great coaches over the years. Um, you know, to me, he plays the position the way coaches want the position to be played. When you said that thing about staying in late and then moving late, it, it, I, I was thinking of Philip Rivers as someone. Well, Philip Rivers couldn't move like that. Burrow, and no. Philip Rivers, Philip Rivers, to me, and again, you know, I can't think of every single quarterback right now, but he was as good as any quarterback that I can recall watching, standing in the pocket and delivering, knowing that he was going to get hit. Yep. Um, because he couldn't run out. I mean, we know that. Um, and and he would just stand and he would deliver and he just that that to me is innate. You can't teach that. You yeah. either have that or you don't. No, in this sense, we're around. Well, uh, Greg Burrow's pocket movement could be tested by the Seahawks, who are coming off a bye. And the last time we saw them, they were sacking the Giants' quarterbacks. Yeah, I don't know if that's. Uh, I mean, and that, um, by know, the way. By the way, the Bengals' O line is still an issue, both individually. Uh, and if you watch the tape this week, yep. it, they, they have individual issues with one-on-one matchups, and they have a lot of issue with games and stunts. Yes. So this will be very, very interesting because the Seahawks' defense um, is is pretty good, um, and, yep. and it's getting better. And I'm really curious to see. You know, normally they play Woolen on the right and Witherspoon on the left. I'm really curious to see when Witherspoon matches up to Chase because yes. I think Chase at his best is a big, big-time receiver. Um, I felt that way when he came out of LSU, um, and I think that in the NFL he's shown that. And we know that Witherspoon, hey, he's a rookie, but he's feisty, he's competitive, he won't back down, and and I'm pretty sure the Seahawks will stay with what they do. They've never used Woolen as a matchup corner, so I'm sure he'll play right corner and Witherspoon will play left corner, and there'll be times when Chase and Witherspoon go at it. Yeah, they're not travelers. They never have been going no. back to the OB days. But, I mean, Woolen might be the better matchup there because he's 6'4 and he's really fast. Yeah, I but don't... he may not have the quickness that Chase demands. True, True. And, and Witherspoon does have that, my CB1 yeah. in his class. So, yeah, I mean, yes, we pop an asterisk because it was the Giants. But, I mean, and you and I talked about this, the Seahawks pass rush. Man, we're not sure. We knew that Uchenna Nwosu was good. I, you know, the return of Jaron Reed has helped a lot. Boy, Mafe has really showed out the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and so. he's a guy they expected to. And, yeah. and you know, the other guy that I think shows flashes here and there because he has traits, and I think they've expected more, but we'll see. It's still a young season, is Taylor. Because Taylor is, is yeah. Gumby-like. You know, yes. he can bend. He's long. He's athletic. Every once in a while, you see a flash, and you go, oh, boy, that guy can really rush the quarterback. But they've expected more. We'll see. Yeah, and they're uh, 14th in defensive DVOA this year. They were 22nd last year. I think Bobby Wagner is uh, responsible for a lot of those eight points. Oh, a good player, Doug. Oh, Hall of Famer, first ballot. Uh, 
Seahawks are still running a ton of two tight end sets, even with the selection of Jackson Smith and Jigba. It is their personality. Geno Smith, the two tight ends this season, 25 of 29 for 268, 140 air yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a pass rating of 127.9. Smith has just 86 dropbacks and 11 personnel this season, 28th in the league. They took Smith and Jigba in the first round, but they're still who they are. Yeah, and, and by the way, you recited those numbers this year. If you go back to last year and look at his numbers out of 12, they were absurdly good, yep. absurdly yep. good. And I think, you know, it, it almost gets back to our beginning discussion um, about personnel. They really understand how to present clean, defined reads for Smith. And yes. and by the way, that's good coaching. You know, Gino throws the ball really well. If he sees it the right way, he can be very, very good. And when you do this and you get what you expect from the defense, you allow him to see it the right way. And, you know, Gino's always been a beautiful thrower of the football. So, you know, this allows him to be as efficient as he can be. And and now he's become a quality quarterback in this league. But it's just it, – it, I didn't know we were going to go in this direction. You know, people have to understand we don't talk about everything we're going to talk about. So a lot of times we just kind of go off here. But – you know, I think this is a great example of using 12 personnel, base personnel, sometimes 13, which they play a lot of as well relative to the rest of the league, really helps your quarterback because they know what they're going to get from the defense. And it's all probability and tendency. When I say they know what they're going to get, nothing's 100%, but it's high percentage probability. And that allows Gino to really understand it almost before the snap of the ball. He probably feels very, very comfortable with what he's going to get and where he's going to go. Yeah, I'm winning in the pre-snap phase. Well, Greg, as your host, it is my job to tee you up with a hanging slider, which I just did. So there you go. <clears throat> Right. So some, sometimes I'm not sure if it's going to be a fastball or a slider, but it doesn't matter because I'm prepared to BS with the best of them. There you go. Uh, 49ers at Browns, and this is one of those, whoo, boy, here we go. So after three weeks, the Browns were this amazing defense. Against the Ravens, they lost their coverage rules a bit, it looked like. Seemed more disorganized than it had been. And their front is – this is where I'm going with this. Their front is highly aggressive, very multiple. Yep. They lost contain on some of those cool Ravens design runs with motion and misdirection and all that, the counter bash and whatnot. And they have to have a different plan against this run game because this season the Browns have allowed 1.4 yards per attempt against runs without motion and 4.5 yards per carry against run plays with motion. The Niners were averaging six yards per carry on their 46 motion runs. Well, so you make a great how, point. How, if you're Schwartz and you've got to prepare for all this stuff, how do you adjust? You make a great point. And, and the reason it just struck me when you were when you were making it again, I didn't know you were going to make that point. Um they tend to be a single high safety defense with Grant Delpit in the box because that's Delpit's strength. Yep. Delpit's been a really, really good player this year, but they play him in the box. And very often, again, Schwartz is a lot smarter than I am. He knows defense and all the rules and way better than I do. But very often when you play single high, you have to adjust versus motion. Often if you play, let's say, a quarter's structure – and maybe he'll do more of that. See, that's the thing. We don't know. You know, now we're just talking ball, but we don't know what Jim Schwartz is going to do. But I remember when Rod Rust used to come watch tape with me, the old defensive coordinator who, you know, passed away a number of years ago, and I learned so much from him. And he's sort of considered the pioneer of quarters coverage. And he would always tell me that when you play quarters and have a balanced quarter structure, you do not have to adjust to motion because you're balanced. Um 
And, you know, so if you play a ton of single high, you know, at some point, and you see this all the time when there's motion and all of a sudden the safeties, the box safety runs back and the other safety runs down or, or the linebackers start to, you know, because they want, because one linebacker is the, is the strength linebacker. The other linebacker is the weak side linebacker. You know, you don't want to get caught up in that when you play the Niners because they're going to use a lot of motion and they snap the ball seemingly at odd times sometimes, and you don't want to get caught. So I'll be fascinated to see, like I said, Schwartz knows a hell of a lot more than I do, but it'll be interesting to see if he plays more of a quarter structure look. So he doesn't, you know, and he won't do what I'm saying. I don't want people to think I mean a hundred percent of the plays, but just a little more. So he doesn't get caught with having to adjust and communicate in response to motion. Well, maybe he should watch and probably will watch the way the Eagles responded to the Rams use of motion, uh, which we'll get to in a moment. So let's get into our nuanced discussion as promised. Brock Purdy. Why is it, Greg? Oh, he's a system quarterback. Anybody can do that. Okay, we're done. Why is he either a worthless plug-in <laughs> right, right, right. quarterback or he's Joe Montana and the prohibitive MVP? I'm sorry. He's not the most valuable player in his own backfield, but that, well, that's my opinion. That's a, diff- that's a, that's a different uh, point, and one could have that debate. Um, I will say this about Purdy. I, I, I've been really, really impressed with Purdy this year. I think there's been clear improvement in his game. I think that the ball comes out with more juice. I mean, again, just like we spoke before about um, – I can now I can't remember who was, we were speaking about before, but I said he didn't have a hose. Burrow. Yeah, oh, Burrow, I mean, yeah. Purdy's never going to have a hose. He's never going to throw it like Matthew Stafford. But I remember early in their careers thinking that Drew Brees and Tom Brady's arms got a little stronger early in their careers. And and Brady had a much stronger arm than he was ever given credit for. Well, Brady's arm got much stronger, like in the around 2007 when he was. Yeah, and don't forget, he played in Foxborough, where it was windy, and his ball cut through the wind without any problem at all. And and Purdy, he made some throws this past week, and it wasn't just this week. I just happened to notice it this week more so. That I'm telling you, he spins it pretty good now. I mean, it comes out of his hand really good. Um, And the other thing, and and. The, the great thing about having a clicker, you know, my, my handy little clicker so I can watch plays a thousand times if I choose to, is his understanding of their route concepts versus the defense that he's playing against. And even when they adjust, and I'll give you one example in a second, um, he throws with a really refined sense of anticipation. The reason yes. I showed you my clicker is there's a lot of times when I watch a quarterback and I see when he starts his delivery and I say, okay, you know, I know the route, so I know who he's throwing to. But if, if, if for someone didn't know that and I stopped him as he just separated his hands and I said, who's he throwing to? A lot of people would say, I don't know. Yep. You know, and that comes from his, as I said, a really refined understanding of his offense and the defense, and he threw a 42-yard play. You're gonna, I was going to say, you're going to talk about the dagger to Debo, right? Yeah, because yep. they showed single high, yep. and then they yep. went yep. to cover two. And, and again, it, it might seem easy, too. but it's yeah. not. No, it's not. It's, it's not. It's you not. know, I tell you, I worked, you know, on the matchup show with two guys who played quarterback, and, you know, that kind of stuff is not easy because, you know, don't forget, the as the ball's being snapped, and he was in the gun on that play, that's when the movement occurs. You have to catch the ball first. So you can't be staring at safety. You got to catch the ball. And then all of a sudden they move and it goes from single high to a two shell. It became cover two. And then you have to know instantaneously because, you know, 
we just assume, oh, it's quarterbacking. Blah, you know, you've got three seconds at most. Think about that. And How many and he, times do we talk about see it and throw it, guys? Well, here yeah. are my notes on that play. The Cowboys showed single high pre-snap that switched to Tampa. To, I thought it was Tampa because Van Der It was because uh, Van Der Esch ran down the seam. With yeah. the, it was so, Dagger. So he ran dagger, down the seam with yeah. the inside and vertical. And then uh, Van Der Esch Jennings all the way up. The read was Samuel inside of the deep uh, the dig. And Purdy had that thing. I watched it, too. And Purdy threw that ball. Before Samuel even began his break. He just had started. He had yeah. just started <clears> yeah. that ball. And he had to throw that. Uh, was that the one where he had to throw it? Oh, it was he had one over Van Der Esch's head, too. That was the that was on the same drive, 23 yards yeah, to IU, which, by the way, was straight drop back, one of the few times they do that. And, and so Van Der Esch did not step up. He had no play action to respond to. That was a big-time throw as well. 11.53 left in the third quarter. Throw to IU, Corinne, a deep dig. Purdy had to throw the ball over Van Der Esch's head. Not Brady. You said Brady. I, uh, Purdy. Uh, Purdy, sorry. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. <clears throat> Threw it over Van Der Esch's head as Ayuk was coming into the frame because Gilmore, Stefan Gilmore was following him pretty well. And that's the throw. I mean, that to me was maybe his most impressive throw. Yeah, and, and, and Tony, you watch those throws, Doug. They have some juice on them. Those are, those are not softballs. Those no. throws had some juice. They, the he spins yeah. it pretty good now. The touch throw, the third touchdown to Kittle. I love the design of this play. It was 22. Oh, and that, by the way, you're in low red zone. That's a touch. Yes. That's not an easy read. That, yes. that's, that was beautifully done. Beautifully done. This is how I want to circle around this conversation. The design of the play was brilliant. It was 22 personnel. They said, use check in motion to align with Kittle and uh, Charlie Werner, the other tight end. So it's basically motion, motion to backside bunch to a flood. McCaffrey had a block on Dorrance Armstrong that made the play possible. Otherwise, Armstrong was going to get to Purdy. <clears throat> right. Where Purdy made a great touch throw to Kittle over the heads of several Dallas defenders. That's the touch throw. So my conclusion was this is an ideal combination of quarterback and scheme. Yes, Shanahan dialed up a great way to flood Dallas's cover one to that side. But Greg, you still have to make that throw. And you still the 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 sort of palette of throws Purdy is showing, it's expanding. And that's what's impressive. Yeah, I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with saying that a coach designs a really good system. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the coach's job. job. Okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with saying that. That's not a knock on a quarterback. No. Uh, but Purdy is executing what he's being asked to execute at an extremely high level. And I think there's clear improvement from year one when he was very good, by the way, to this year. I think, I think, you know, w- when you can throw a ball, and again, this comes from the guys who, you know, work with me on the matchup show who played the position. When you really feel comfortable with your offense and you see it well, you throw with great confidence, great conviction, and the ball comes out better, you know, and he's, I think that, I think you were missing the boat for look, I, everybody fell into the same deal. I did Purdy coming out and I'll be the first to admit I didn't love him. Okay. I don't forget. He was a Mr. Irrelevant. I can tell you for a fact that there were teams that didn't even have him as a high priority free agent. So, you know, look, maybe people were wrong so far. It looks like that's the case that happens every once in a while, you know? Um, but well, as you said about Brady and Breeze, guys develop. Yeah. And, and not always you know, the guy you were in college. Obviously, I'm, you and I are not necessarily getting a chance to, to sit down and talk to all these guys. You know, I'm sitting and watching tape. Um, I talk to people, but, you know, I'm not the one speaking to Brock Purdy. But, you know, I think that his ability to understand his own offense and to recognize defense so quickly. And again, we use the word processing. I like to use eliminate and isolate. Um, whatever term you, you like to use, that's your favorite. He he can do that at a really high level. 
And as I said, there's not a lot of time to do that. You know, I mean, when I talk to the guys in my, in my mentor room and they talk to me about, hey, when you drop back, man, it, it's it, things are happening fast. You know, there's just not a lot of time. Uh, and he just is one of those, you know, calm guy. Where Look, I, I don't get into the comparison game. You know, you can talk stylistically like – I do radio in San Francisco, and, of course, they're starting to say he's Joe Montana. That's all great. You know, that, that, that doesn't mean anything to me. But the point is he plays the game calmly. You know, we spoke about Burrow earlier. Burrow plays the game calmly because they see it, okay? You know, I've always used this phrase, and I think it's a fa- – you know, I've been doing this a long time, and I like when I watch guys, I try to think of the best ways to say things because I do shows like this so, you know, people can understand – When you don't see it, the term I use, when you're slow mentally, the result is you play fast physically because you know the time is being squeezed really quickly. So if you're dropping back and you're not seeing it, man, that clock goes off and you just start moving because you know you just can't stand there. Well, if So So when you see it mentally, when you're fast mentally, you slow down physically. It just kind of, you know, you watch Burrow. It never looks hurried. You watch Purdy, never looks hurried at all. I mean, you know, Brady never looked hurried. You know, that's just the way when you're when you're seeing it the right way, and that involves your own offense and the defense. And believe me, there are coaches that think it takes four years to learn all that stuff. Purdy seems to be learning that in in, in fast time. You know, so it's I have nothing but good things to say about him. I think he's playing at a really high level. And at some point you got to give the guy credit because you know what? It's not an easy offense to execute. Defenses in this league are sophisticated and detailed and nuanced, and he's not really having a problem with this. So you got he's playing at a really high level. Well, if I told you without naming the quarterback, who <clears throat> Cowboys defense, which is really good, adjusted on not his first read to what looked like cover three to Tampa two and made that throw. I mean, how many quarterbacks would you say, yeah, he could do that? I mean, that's a tough question to answer, but the point is you're dealing with a guy that still hasn't played a full season in terms of number of starts. So that you have to take into account. I mean, I'm sure veteran quarterbacks can do that, you know, but still, just so people understand, that's not easy to do. And the quality of throw. Well, I know you're a basketball guy from way back. So the the conclusion I came to is he was a point guard. Now he's also a shooter. Yeah. And and by the way, I remember having a great conversation with Charlie Weiss years ago, and he said that for the first two, three years with Brady, you know, he had to be kind of massaged and he wasn't the driving force. And then starting in 2004, it became evident to everybody that Brady had taken that big step forward and you could sort of build your offense around Tom Brady, you know, and don't forget, look. It's not a knock on Purdy to say that oh. they have a real good offensive line and a really well-designed multiple run game and a phenomenal defense where theoretically he doesn't have to go into every game feeling like he's got to put up 35, even though they're more than capable of that. All those are good things, but that doesn't take away from the if you put if you isolate how he's playing in a vacuum, he's playing at a really high level. You still have to execute. So I yeah. know I know we're doing, <clears throat> but I just want to. Get and by the that. way, Fred Warner is pretty good. Oh my God! Well, the one play that I, I think I discussed. Yeah, I know you. You, yeah, yeah. Where he, he blew up. He was. I know he was spying Prescott, but he happened to be where he could blow yeah. up both sides of mesh. And then he got his hands up. And, yeah, he's he's crazy. He might be the best player on the team, and they're the best team in football. So there you go. Uh, Eagles at Jets, real quick. Um, I wanted to because I know <coughs> I, I rely on you for Eagles. So you do the stuff with Fran Duffy, which is awesome, and you're, that's like your first watch. So. We go back to the Browns and, you know, and, and the Eagles seem to play a lot of cover three and quarters against the, the motion stuff. 
but they seem to use safety movement and more zone rules, if that makes sense, to counter motion. It wasn't like frantically going, oh, let's sell out to do no, that. No, that's the thing. And it was really, it was, it was. I thought they had a good plan. And I also thought they had a good plan to play the, the bunches um, yeah. because, you know, a lot of teams, there's, there's five, six ways. And I've had these conversations with coaches, five, six ways to play trips bunch. And, you know, one way is what we call box. You play four over three and, you know, it's a good way to play it because you're not trying to match releases. You know, you're not trying, you know, sometimes teams get caught. We actually saw the week before on Nakua's game-winning touchdown, and I've, now I forget who that was against. Was it was Colts? against the Colts, and it was uh, Brantz and Kenny Moore. Yeah, and they, and they got stuck. Cool it was it was tight stuck. bunch, and they got stuck, both guys playing the same guy, because yep. one guy was playing man coverage, and the other guy was playing the releases. So yep. they got stuck, you know. And that's you know that that can happen. You know, we see I see that a lot. So one way to get out of that is to play what we call box. It's four over three, and you pretty much just let the routes develop. You're not worrying about the releases. They de- they develop, and you've got four to play their three. You know. So and normally on the other side you're playing three over two. So you know that's one way to play it. But the other thing you're talking about is teams are now going to figure out how to deal with motion. And because it's really hard to run people across formations, it's really hard to have two or three people adjusting. I mean, when you deal with these fast motions by the Atwells, by the Tyreek Hills, when mm-hmm. this is, you know, the, the uh, Chiefs are really good at doing this as well, as you well know. Um, mm-hmm. When you deal with all these fast motions and you try to adjust on the fly, that's not so easy to do because it's not just one guy that's adjusting. By the way, the Dolphins on their 55 runs with motion are averaging 9.9 yards per carry. <laughs> yeah, and people <clears throat> lose sight of motion in the run game where it's probably really – I mean, the Niners are masters of using it in the run game. And, of course, Mike McDaniel is as well because that's his background. Um, you know, so it it's really becomes difficult to deal with. You don't want to start moving people all over the place. Look, even in the run game, when stacked linebackers start bumping over gaps, you know, it's it, – you know, then you get windback elements and, you know, you get all kinds of different things that the offense can create when teams start to react to all these motions. And that, like I said, that's sort of been our overriding theme for, for our talk today is this is the next part of the chess match. How yep. defenses, because more and more teams are doing this, you know, how defenses will react to motion. They're going to have to figure that out and they will. That's the nature of football. You know, every time something new comes along, as you well know, you know, it's it's the greatest thing in the history of Western civilization as we know it. And then smart defensive coaches, because there are many in the NFL, they figure things out. And while motion won't go away, just like the zone read won't go away, all of a sudden it doesn't seem as important as it was. I mean, when the zone read first started and the 49ers with Kaepernick and then for about two, three, four years, it seemed like, oh, my God, no one can stop the zone read. Now the zone read is part of the game, but it's not an overwhelming part of the game. Teams understand how to deal with it. Well, uh, and I, know, I, I first noticed this a couple weeks ago. The Jets are really good running the ball with motion. We don't talk about that with them because we don't talk about well, the Well, the 72-yard touchdown run by Brees Hall this week was beautiful. See, that had motion, and yep. it had a windback element, and that's that's really good stuff. Assisted by that play, but the Jets uh, have 32 runs with motion, 7.2 yards per carry. So the Eagles go from handling the, the explosive motion pass game with the Rams – explosive motion run game with the uh, the Jets. And they're going to have to run the ball. I mean, I know the Eagles lead the NFL in in, in rushing, and they've not faced many rushing attempts relative to the rest of the league because they tend to get ahead uh, and it changes the game. 
But you and I both know that the Jets have no chance at all if they can't have some kind of running game, and that remains to be seen. So they will use motion. They will use windback elements, misdirection, deception. They'll do anything they can because they're going to need to create angles and leverage in the run game. You know, They're going to have to be able to run to some degree. They can't have 20 carries for 25 yards because, you know, and, and you know this from watching the tape, Zach Wilson is not ready to be the driving force in an offense, certainly not against that defense. No, and that, speaking against, the, uh, well, we're in the Jets defense, uh, DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner will not travel. Uh, they don't. They no, and, and I'm so glad you said that because I get so tired of reading on social media about Sauce Gardner and the receivers he's going to match up against. I would bet in his – and now this week Reed didn't play, so Gardner played both right and left more than he ever has. But Reed, I assume, will be back this week from his concussion. And I would bet when Reed and Gardner played together – Gardner's been the left corner 99-plus percent of the snaps, and Reed's been the right corner. And that's Close. that's the Close. way it is. Reed has been 58% of the snaps at left corner, 31% in left slot. Gardner's been 48% uh, right corner, 28% right slot. They don't travel. Two guys I want to mention the Jets' defense to watch out for. Bryce Hoff off the edge. Guys Love him. He's, he's one of the most and, overlooked sub-front uh, edge rushers in the game. Boy, is he fun to watch. He yeah. just goes straight up, just mad as hell. And Quincy Williams at linebacker also. Ah. So they've got good players all over the place. They're not a big blitz team, but when they do yep. blitz, Williams is off in the fifth rusher, yep. and he is explosive downhill. Speaking of defenses we don't talk about a lot, Greg, and I want to get to this more quickly than I thought because I know you have to go narrate NFL matchup, which, of course, we're all watching and DVRing this weekend. Uh, it's time to talk about Detroit's defense. We'll get, we'll get ah. into this. And I, Lee McNeil is my guy because I love greedy Jarrett types. Uh, Brian Branch was ridiculous. You said something when we were talking on the phone that, okay, we, you're going to have to explain, like, good player, but wow. You said that Alex Anzalone is a top five line This year, the way he's playing. Right now. Rarely ever comes off the field. Um, they're using him in multiple ways. We're seeing, first of all, I love what Aaron Glenn's doing. I had a chance to talk to Aaron Glenn years ago when he first got into coaching. Um, and I haven't talked to him. I, I see him at the combine. You know, it's hey, how are you? But I may reach out to him during the bye week. We'll see. Because uh, I had a great conversation. You know, this goes back. I think he was with Cleveland, maybe his first job. I can't remember, but it was a long time ago. Um, really impressive guy, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And I love how he came off last year as a coordinator where he played for much of the season, a ton of man, and yep. wanted to blitz and be super aggressive and kind of pulled back a little bit toward the end of the season. But then he obviously did some self-scouting this offseason. They are playing a ton more zone. Yep. They're not as aggressive. They, they mix it up. Um, he's using his players now in multiple ways. Anzalone, Jack Campbell now is getting to be a big part of it, the rookie from, from Iowa, who's 6'5", 250. They're and playing him off the edge, though, which is – Yeah, they're using him on the edge at times. They even Barnes, the number 55 – Barnes, when he was at Purdue, his last year at Purdue, they moved him to stack backer. The year prior, he was an edge pass rusher and had like 12 sacks. So he's another guy that is capable of rushing the quarterback, and they're starting to use him in that role here and there. So he's really using his players really well, showing a lot of different looks. But just a quick point on Anzalone, never comes off the field. Right. Really athletic. I spoke to a coach who coached him at uh, at Florida, and he was, you know, where he unfortunately got hurt too much, but he was raving about his overall traits and skill set. I mean, you're dealing with a 6'3", 245-pound guy who's a high-level athlete now. So he's playing really, really good football. I think he's the, the stabilizing force on that defense. 
Nice. Uh, there are three teams. Uh, yeah, the motion of the run game thing. The Lions are also really killing teams at this. So, ah. Lions, Buccaneers. <clears throat> you got Dave Canales running a more a, another heavy personnel passing game, which really seems to rein in Baker Mayfield's more rogue tendencies. I wanted to mention that. And I wanted to mention that Jared Goff leads the NFL in pass rating in two tight end sets, and he's in those a lot. 28 of 37 for 330, 201 air yards, four touchdowns, yeah. no interceptions, and a pass rating of 138.3. Greg, I'm no mathematician, but I think that's pretty good. And, you know, that that relates to one of our themes today about the use of base personnel. I mean, it just – it really – you know, you get more defined looks from the defense. And like I said, talking about how defenses deal with motion, that's they'll figure that out. Teams are going to start changing the way they play against base personnel, uh, particularly 12. That You see that more than, than 21. Um, and they'll figure something out, and we'll see how it goes. But, you know, when you have Laporta who can line up anywhere, you know, they've got three tight ends who are actually athletic guys yep. because Wright is also – Wright was a big-time recruit coming out of high school. Never quite worked out for him in college, but he was a big, big-time recruit. And then they've got Mitchell, the kid from, uh, I think, Virginia Tech, who yeah. was hurt, but he's very athletic. So they've got guys that are not just your old school tight ends. They've got guys that can detach from the formation, run the seam, run intermediate and vertical routes. And as I said, defenses are going to have to figure out how they want to play against teams that line up in 12 and detach their tight ends and use them in multiple ways. Yep. Yep. Well, it's funny how they trade Hawkinson and they just keep growing more athletic tight ends. It's kind of cool. And he's a really good player too. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, another trend to watch. And I know we went a little over this week, but as we get into the season, you start to see things. And we discussed this no last question. week, the trends and the sort of capabilities. So, uh, as always, Greg, wonderful stuff. We could go for five hours, but you've got work to do. I've got work to do. So, as always, great stuff. And we'll talk some more X's and O's next week. This was a good one, Doug. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. Me too. Thank you. Thank you.